Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. Thanks for joining me today. As always, please hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend and let me know what you want to hear about next. In this episode, we're talking about parental leave on this podcast about mental health because of the relationship between the two. One of the risk factors for postpartum depression includes a lack of social support, high stress, sleep deprivation, and more. And parental leave can definitely make that easier. Can you imagine having to jump back into work just a few days or weeks after delivering a baby? You're still recovering physically, sleep-deprived, and working so hard to take care of yourself and the little one, and now you have to add a full-time job on top of that? Unfortunately, that's the reality for so many American parents. Going back to work is anxiety-provoking even when it's six or more months postpartum. It's actually one of the most stressful experiences many of my patients report, and a time when postpartum anxiety and mood symptoms often get worse. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this topic is that there was a recent review in The Lancet on this very topic. This was an article, a review, that took a look at over 7,000 different records, and they included 45 studies. The countries that they surveyed when reviewing parental leave were pretty varied from Chile to Australia, Denmark, France, and other European countries, Japan, Norway, Sweden, Canada, and many studies actually came from the U.S. itself. What they concluded at the end of the review was that parental leave was associated with less maternal depressive symptoms and longer leave was associated with better mental health, less stress, and less burnout. And this protection extended beyond just the postpartum period and actually into later in life. They also found an association, a positive impact on paternal anxiety when there was options for parental leave. And that also makes sense. I think neither of these two findings, the impact on maternal mental health and the impact on paternal anxiety, neither of these findings are particularly surprising. Of course, it makes sense that parental leave and particularly paid parental leave and more extended parental leave, would lead to better mental health outcomes. So now for the not-so-great news. Unfortunately, the U.S. actually lags behind more than 40 countries for government-mandated paid leave. There was an interesting article in 2019 by Pew Research on this topic, and I've included a link to this article in the show notes, because the graphic, when you click on the link and you read the article, is quite poignant. It really ranks the 40 plus countries that I took a look at in terms of paid parental leave. And it ranges from eight to 86 weeks, depending on the country, with countries like Ireland and Switzerland at the bottom around the eight weeks, middle countries of about 20 to 55 weeks, like Germany, Chile, and Canada. And at the top of the graphic, you can see the countries with the most leave, 60 plus weeks, like Japan and Hungary. That's over a year of paid leave. And the paid leave in these 
various countries is distributed between maternity leave, paternity leave, and it certainly varies by country. And it's also available for those who are birthing parents and those who are adoptive parents as well. Now, there are a few states in the U.S. that do have mandated leave. For example, California, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, D.C., and the state of Washington. And this leave protects the job. And in California, we have that. That's where I'm currently located. We have several weeks of protected leave. And then starting in October 2020, there was actually a great bill that was passed affording federal workers paid parental leave. This was uh, FEPLA, the Federal Employee Paid Leave Act. An interesting component of that is the individual who is taking the 12 weeks of paid leave is also then mandated to work for 12 weeks after their leave. So the Pew Research study came out in 2019. This bill actually went into effect in late 2020. So there's a little bit of discrepancy there that's explained by that difference. But I think it's really valuable to know that at least federal employees are getting the opportunity for paid leave, for parental protected leave. And we should really begin to think about what can we do as a country to move towards government-mandated paid leave for more than just folks that work for the federal government, for all employees. Now, it's also important to recognize the difference between protected leave and paid leave. Because one of the reasons that a lot of individuals go back to work earlier than they might otherwise is because of financial stress. And going back to work is really hard for parents. A lot of my moms report significantly increased anxiety for a number of reasons. There's separation from the infant. This is often the first experience that a lot of women have for ongoing, continuous separation from their baby day in and day out. And this concept of mom guilt definitely plays a role in this challenge with separation and also kind of a fear of, you know, am I missing something when I'm not with my baby? And a sense of longing and a desire to be with the baby. So that's one, is separation from the infant. Number two is the logistical challenge of pumping for those individuals who have chosen to breastfeed and who have chosen to continue to try to provide their baby with breast milk after they go back to work, it can be challenging to find the right space and timing in order to breastfeed. It takes at least 20 minutes several times a day, and that can be a real challenge depending on your workplace environment. Number three, there's brain fog with ongoing sleep deprivation that can make it really hard to concentrate and be productive. The baby doesn't all of a sudden begin to sleep well just because mom goes back to work, unfortunately, there's ongoing sleep deprivation. Time away from work also means it can take time to ramp back up. If you haven't been in that workplace environment for several weeks or months, it definitely takes a little bit of time to get used to that again. Then we have the juggling that takes place, juggling new responsibilities of parental duties with professional duties. What happens when the baby is sick? What happens when daycare is closed? Navigating those challenges can be really stressful for a new parent. The next thing is stigma. When you go back to work, you might hear coworkers ask questions like, how was your break? Well, maternity leave and parental leave is not really a break. 
there's sleep deprivation, there's a lot of energy and effort that is required for taking care of an infant and for the recovery process from pregnancy and labor and delivery. It's not a break. Managing those expectations and that stigma can be a challenge. Then we have the timing of postpartum depression and anxiety. I often think about an entire year of vulnerability. And if you're going back to work at eight weeks or 12 weeks or even six months, you're still within that year of vulnerability. It can definitely be harder to fit in appointments with a doctor or a therapist when you're working full time. So how to navigate the emotional, psychological, and mental health challenges postpartum if you have postpartum depression anxiety along with the return back to work. Those are all of the different challenges and stressors that make it hard for parents to go back to work. And then the question comes up, well, why return to work? And there's a number of reasons why parents return to work. Of course, the biggest one is usually financial. Financial stress makes it imperative that parents, oftentimes both parents, go back to work. There's also a sense of identity and self-efficacy that can come with working professionally for many individuals. And then there's this concept, these worries about losing opportunities, professional opportunities for advancement or promotion or being quote-unquote forgotten if an individual takes too much time away from the professional workplace. It's not an easy balance between these reasons why an individual will choose to go back to work and the challenges of doing so. What are some ways to make it easier? Well, if possible, I would encourage returning to work gradually and also making sure to recognize when that might not be working. I have a patient, for example, who returned to work after a few months of maternity leave, but really found that it was mentally not the right time for her. Fortunately, her job was able to afford her an additional two months of parental leave, which she took. And then when she went back the second time, she was noting that it was better, but she also made some additional changes to transition, for example, from a management position back to working individually. And that felt like a better fit where she could really engage professionally, but also prioritize her values on the personal front. That's what I recommend is planning and preparation. Now, that is, of course, hard to do when there might only be a few weeks of leave and you want to spend some time focusing on healing, recovery and bonding and connection rather than planning to go back to work. But some of the things that I would encourage you to focus on when you're making that plan is number one, setting appropriate boundaries at work. That might be in the context of what time you will come into work, what time you're going to leave and potentially having a conversation with your boss or HR or whomever is the appropriate party about having the necessary flexibility in order to be able to meet your professional commitments, but also meet your personal values and your family values. The second is creating a support network, and that might be coordinating with your spouse or partner or other support people to ensure that there's individuals who have your back when you need that additional help and flexibility around navigating those two commitments. The third thing is making time for self-care, and that includes mental health and wellness activities. And note that I said make time as opposed to find time, 
because there's never any time to find. It's really important to prioritize this and make time for these kinds of mental health wellness activities. Number four is to expect some negative emotions. We talked a little bit about guilt being a pretty common one and accepting these kinds of negative emotions with self-compassion and then working on your mindset around this, perhaps with a therapist or professional or a personal support system. Number five is thinking about this concept of being good enough in the context of your priorities. And I think I've said the word values and priorities half a dozen times in the last few minutes because that's really key to all of this is reflecting on what your goals and priorities are and making sure that you're making decisions that are in line with those value systems. And then finally, I recommend practicing asking for help. That's often hard to do and it takes practice, consistency, and multiple tries to ask people around you for the help that you need. I'll leave you with this. The data that extended paid parental leave improves mental health is not surprising. While we wait for the government, society, and industry to catch up to this notion, and perhaps not just wait, but also advocate, it's important to plan and prepare for postpartum in order to make it a smoother and less anxiety-provoking transition using these guidelines that I've just outlined. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.